Now we're going to read uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through to chapter 3 and verse 10. So John continues, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So over to Sam. Good evening. It's good to be uh, with you all this evening. And uh, we've got some, uh, you might have noticed reading that passage, there are some uh, Slightly challenging verses there, aren't there? But there are also some uh, absolute nuggets of gold. And uh, Neil got to preach on one of his favourite passages this morning. And I have to say, especially the first few verses in this passage are some of my absolute favourite. These are some amazing words that we've got to uh, explore tonight. And we're going to uh, look what it means to be a child of God and how that changes everything about our lives. So before we begin, let me just pray to start. Father, we thank you uh, that you are an awesome God, a God who is um, outside of what we can even uh, get our heads around. God, you are um, bigger than we are. But Father, we pray as we come to your word now, uh, would you give us eyes to see who you uh, really are as you reveal yourself? Uh, Father, would you help us to um, even start to get our heads around some of these amazing truths? And Lord, would you uh, change our lives as we uh, read them? Amen. We're going to go uh, through this passage mostly verse by verse, but uh, before we do, I'm just going to uh, introduce you to a couple of characters, okay? That they're, they're not real people, so um, if they share the same name with you, then, then don't worry, it's, it's not you. Uh, so the first one is Daryl, okay? This is uh, Daryl, and Daryl is uh, a Christian. Uh, Daryl, therefore, knows uh, what God is like. She knows uh, the good news uh, of the Bible story, uh, that she is a sinful person, but that God sent Jesus uh, to save her. And she knows that the, the right response to that is to live a life that pleases him. 
but the problem for Daryl is that in the kind of daily grind of her life, in the, in the kind of normal comings and goings, she just finds it really hard to live for God. Actually, she finds it just much easier to get into some pretty bad habits with how she lives her life. And she knows that she can choose to live God's way or, or not live God's way. And actually, so often, it's just more convenient not to. And so she uh, kind of tells little white lies when it's convenient or, or she just starts gossiping at work a bit. Just, just, it's just easier to do that rather than make a stand. So that's, that's Daryl. Okay, we can call her Don't Care Daryl. Uh, the second person we're going to be introduced to tonight is a guy called Bob. Okay, Bob is also a Christian. So he knows the, the same things uh, that Daryl does. You know that uh, God has sent Jesus uh, for him and he trusts in Jesus. And Bob also really uh, struggles with sin. There are some things in his life that he finds really hard. And uh, there are a few specific sins that, that Bob really struggles with. And for Bob, this is a really big deal. And so when uh, Bob sins, when he, when he gets something wrong, actually it feels like his whole world is kind of falling in on him. He just feels like an absolute ton of bricks has been uh, dropped on his head and his whole mood changes. He gets really depressed. He thinks, oh, I'm a, I'm a rubbish Christian. I've messed up that again. I've got that wrong. I wanted to get it right and I got it wrong. I just feel useless. Okay, so that's, that's Bob. We're going to call him Beat Up Bob, okay? And we're going to, we're going to come back to Bob and Daryl as we uh, go through this. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of made-up characters, they are. Uh, but actually, as we think about them, think about uh, Daryl's response to sin and Bob's response to sin, I wonder if you find that you can relate to at least one of them, at least a little bit. Uh, maybe you're, uh, as you think about how you respond to things in your life that you know was not right and you shouldn't have done it whether you can be a bit like Daryl and try to try just ignore it or just kind of sweep it under the carpet and, and try and move on. Or, or maybe you respond a bit like Bob does. And you just feel, oh, a ton of bricks has been dropped on me. I think for me, I can often kind of alternate which one I, I, I respond like and kind of at different points in my life. I've definitely responded both those ways to stuff that I know is wrong. So we're going to um, come back and, and see how uh, these words apply to, uh, to Darren and Bob as we go through. Uh, because uh, these are the words that John has uh, written for us and we're going to look at tonight. Uh, the reason that he's written and he's re the reason that he uh, is so excited about us being children of God is that the fact that we are children of God is going to radically transform how we think about sin, how we think about the things in our life that are wrong. So, so far in the book of John, what he's been doing is the kind of first uh, couple chapters, he's been going through and talking about how, as Christians, we, we relate to God, how we know God. And he's been saying that we have this uh, kind of organic relationship with God. We, we know him and, uh, and he knows us. You remember um, the kind of first uh, uh, time we looked at 1 John and uh, Neil spoke about one of the key, key themes in John is how we, how we uh, relate to God, how we know God. And uh, God uh, relates to us and he put this Holy Spirit in us that we might know him and have this uh, kind of union, this relationship with him. And, uh, but as we get to, to these verses, John's going to kind of change his metaphor a bit, the thing he's using. And actually he's going to say it is, it's even better than that. It's going to go even deeper. So it'd be awesome if, if, 
if the way we relate to God is in this kind of organic kind of friendship relationship. But actually, John says, it's even better than that because we are children of God. We're not just God's acquaintances or people that know him. We are his children. And so at chapter 2, verse 29, he says, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. If you're a Christian tonight, you can call God your father. And so we're going to unpack just a couple of things that, that means for us and what that means for how we live our lives. So that the first point is this, as a child of God, I will be like Jesus in the future. So verse 29, John's just kind of getting around to telling us about, about how we're meant to live our lives and, and what we should do as, as children of God. And as he kind of starts to get going on this, he, he, he thinks about what it means to be a child of God. And he can't help but just explode in worship. He gets so excited. He says in verse one, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He says, God loves us. God has lavished his love upon us. God loves us so, so much. Now, I love uh, many things. Uh, I love pretty much everything to do with food. I'm a massive foodie. One of my favorite things to eat is black pudding. I know mean, that's a bit controversial because some people don't like black pudding, but it is objectively the best food. <laughs> but as I think about black pudding, and I do love it. I wouldn't say I lavish my love on it because, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? But that's what God says about his children. He lavishes his love on us. If we're children of God here tonight, we are loved by God immensely. It's like he's got a, a big bucket of love and it's kind of poured all out over us and we, we've been drenched in this love. It's an amazing picture of just the deepness of God's love. What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, John doesn't really unpack uh, much of what it actually uh, means in, kind of in the theology of it here, but, but he does in, in his gospel. So he says this in, in John chapter 1, and hopefully it might come up on the screen, it might not. Uh, but it says this in John chapter 1, verse 11. He says, he, that's Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So a child of God is someone who has put their faith in Jesus. That's the, the only condition, that's all there is to it, faith in Jesus. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we were not born into being children of God. We didn't uh, start off that way. Actually, that's something that had to happen to us. We had to be reborn as children of God. And, and in John chapter three, a couple of chapters later, uh, he would go on to say, you need to be born again. You need to be, become a part of the family of God. You need the father as your father. And you need uh, Jesus himself as your older brother. So this is a, a gift. This is something we are given. It's not something that we earn. 
It's a bit like how Prince William didn't uh, earn his way into the royal family. He didn't uh, choose it. Uh, he didn't pay for it. He, he simply is part of the royal family. He was born into it. And John's saying we have been born into the royal family of God. And therefore, he says, it's not surprising when people don't get us, when people look at us as children of God and just think we're really weird. Well, that shouldn't surprise us when maybe people think we're, we're kind of wasting our time being Christians or, or maybe think, actually, we've got some pretty wrong views on certain stuff. And actually, we might uh, be seen as bad or dangerous even. John says, well, people are never going to really understand us if they don't understand God, because we're children of God. And people didn't really understand Jesus when he came and walked on earth. So, well, it's not surprising that they don't understand us as his brothers and sisters. We shouldn't be surprised. But he goes on in verse two, he says, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John's saying Jesus will come back and that this time no one's going to miss him. No one's going to uh, get him wrong this time. In fact, there's going to be a shout and there's going to be a massive fanfare and Jesus will return and actually every knee will bow because it will be blatantly obvious that the king has returned and they will all bow down and for us john says we are going to be immediately changed just seeing jesus is going to completely transform everything about us and we will immediately become the people that we were made to be we will transform into perfect versions of ourselves in fact we will become people just like Jesus. Just looking at Jesus means all the sin in our life will just dissolve, just like that. And there will be no more sickness. The things about our bodies that we just wish weren't the case, the things about our lives and our situations that we just get so frustrated by, it will immediately be changed. No more sin. And we'll be just like Jesus. Isn't that good news? What's our response? Well, verse three, he says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So one day we're going to be just like Jesus. But we're not there yet. And so at the moment we look to him and we look like him. Okay, what does all this mean for our friends Daryl and Bob? So what about uh, Daryl, who uh, just uh, kind of stopped caring about the way that she lived and that kind of sweeps it under the carpet? What does she need to know? Well, she needs to know that she is a child of God who will one day be completely different to how she is now. That God is not going to leave her as she is. Actually, God is going to transform her completely. God cares deeply about what she does and how she lives her life, so much so that he's going to completely transform all about her. That should 
a helper to understand who God is. God cares about what we do with our lives. What about our friend Bob, who uh, beats himself up whenever he gets something wrong? Well, Bob needs to know that he is a child of God and uh, who is loved unconditionally by God. God could not love him any less than he does. And God has got a plan to change him. God has already forgiven him of all of his sins. And one day, uh, Bob will get to see that work completed, that final day when there simply won't be any sin in his life. He won't even be tempted by it. It won't, won't even cross his mind as an option. Bob needs to remember that this will happen, and it will happen in God's timing. He needs to be patient as he waits for that day. Well, that's, that's the future, as uh, John kind of, uh, kind of lifts the veil on what the future is going to be like and gives us a quick peek. But then he goes back to thinking about the here and now. Okay, what does this mean for us in our everyday lives? Well, this is the second point, that as a child of God, I will be like Jesus in the future. And sorry, I'll be like Jesus uh, now. Yeah, cool. I've gone the wrong way around on the PowerPoint. There we go. Okay, so this is what John's going to move back to. And the way he's going to do this is he wants us to see uh, where sin comes from and what our sin is really like. Okay, so have a look at verse four with me. It says this, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Okay, so sin is lawlessness, but what is lawlessness, we might be asking. Well, the word that we've got here, lawlessness, um, it, it means something much more than just, just breaking the law. It kind of means breaking the law, but actually it means something uh, much deeper than that. And the word that we've got here could be translated something like true evil. That's a really strong word. It's the kind of word that we might use to describe really appalling things, kind of the worst things in history. Absolutely terrible crimes we see on the TV and we think that's just awful. It's the kind of word that the Bible uses, especially in the Old Testament, to talk about uh, the evil that demons do. Uh, this kind of uh, true lawlessness, these deep, dark spiritual forces. And so what John is saying is that all sin is evilness, ultimately. Now, that might sound uh, pretty extreme to us. We think, well, this, surely sin isn't that bad, or not all sin can be that bad. But the point that John is making is that as we look at in the world around us, as we look at our own lives as well, what is the root cause of all the bad stuff? Ultimately, the root cause of all the bad stuff is spiritual evil. The the stuff going on in the world today that is wrong is actually the result of human beings being evil. Now, that sounds really extreme to us, doesn't it? That we think, I can't be right. And I think part of the reason we, we kind of struggle to get our heads around this is that the culture around us is telling us the exact opposite. Our culture says, deep down, human beings are pretty good, really good, actually. And uh, sure, there are kind of a few bad apples here and now, but, but for the most part, human beings are good. And the job of society is to kind of let 
the goodness out. We've got goodness inside us and we need to kind of let it out. And we need to let people be true to themselves because what, what they are underneath is, is good. And this is all around us. We looked at a few weeks with Simon, didn't we, about um, this idea that love is love, which is a kind of key um, thing in our culture. And it's the same idea. We can love who we want to because love kind of comes from inside and, and inside is good. So, so therefore, all love must be good. And it's wrong for you to tell someone who you can or can't love. But this is not what John thinks. This is not what's in the Bible. He knows that lurking under the surface of every human being is actually the capacity to do evil. Well, that's pretty bad news, isn't it? <laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says this in the next verse. He appeared, that's Jesus, so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Why did Jesus come into the world? It wasn't to brush sin under the carpet. It wasn't to try and help us to, to try a bit harder. The reason that Jesus came in the world was to completely deal with sin at its source. It, it wouldn't have worked to try and sweep sin under the carpet because John knows that sin is so much a part of us. It's part of our nature. But Jesus came to change our nature, to make us completely new people. And this is why John gets so excited about us being children of God. He's saying this is who we are now. We're completely new people. We're people with sins forgiven. And our sinfulness has been completely dealt with. This is the whole point of Jesus coming is to make us children of God, not children of evil. Jesus is therefore our only hope for overcoming the evil inside us. Jesus is the only one who can do this and, and change our hearts and make us new people. We need Jesus. So hopefully that helps us to understand how John can say something like this in verse 6, where he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. The one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Then in verse 9, he, he says this, it's even more extreme. He says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. What he's saying is your inner sinfulness has been completely removed. And so you can be free to live a life that isn't defined by sin anymore. In fact, it's better than that. It's a definite if you are a Christian, you have put sin behind you. You've left your sinful nature behind. It's not who you are anymore. You're a child of God now. Uh, when I was at school, uh, we did uh, woodworking lessons. I don't even remember woodworking lessons from school. And uh, I remember this. I think it was um, in year eight. And we got a, a block of wood. And uh, we were tasked with turning this block of wood about that big into a boat. And uh, I built a rather beautiful boat, I have to say. But it takes a lot of work to uh, take a block of wood and turn it into a beautiful boat. You need to, for instance, take the uh, kind of corner bit off and turn it into a nice pointy bit. And to do that, you need to kind of sand it down. So you need to uh, get a bit of sandpaper and kind of sand it down. 
But the problem is that takes ages because sandpaper takes a long time. And so at our school, we had an industrial sanding belt. And this is a very exciting bit of equipment. It's kind of a massive bit of sandpaper and uh, kind of attached to a motor. And it would spin around really, really fast like that. And what you would do is you would put your uh, bit of wood next to this sandpaper and it would kind of sand it down and take the edge off really quickly. Now, unsurprisingly, for, uh, for smallish boys using a, a massive industrial piece of equipment with sandpaper, there were some strict rules about how you used it. And uh, one of the key rules that we had uh, was you had to tuck your school tie uh, into your shirt. Uh, and if you didn't do that, then you can imagine as you're leaning over this industrial sander and your tie comes out and it's caught in it, then uh, it, it's not, not going to go well to you, is it? You can imagine the consequences. Now, one day, my friend George was using the uh, sander one day, and you can probably tell where this is going, because George had forgotten to tuck his tie in. And so, as you could tell, as George was leaning over this industrial sander, and his tie was kind of swinging out and getting closer and closer to this sanding belt, the more he was uh, sanding down his block of wood. And our teacher saw this. He was at the other side of the classroom, and he, uh, he turned his head, and he screamed across the classroom, you do not use the sander with your tie hanging out. He didn't say, oh, George, would you just mind awfully um, just, just tucking your tie in, please? That, that would be great. Thank you very much. He says, you do not use the sander with your tie hanging out. The point is this, as God's children, we can't take sin lightly. That's why John is telling us, you don't sin. It's, it's not so much instruction. He's just saying, that's not who you are anymore. You're children of God now. And so you don't act like you used to. Just like my teacher telling George that he can't do that. John is reminding us here. He's telling us, you can't act like you used to. You just don't anymore. So that's what we don't do. Uh, but uh, how about something more positive? Well, in verse seven, he says, this is what we do. The one who does what is righteous uh, is righteous. The one who does what is right, sorry, is righteous, just as he is righteous. So instead of doing evil, actually, we are to do good. Uh, for John, that's the only two options. There are only two ways to do life, only two kinds of people, ultimately, there are evil people who do sinful things, and there are right people who do what is righteous, that there isn't any sitting on the fence. And in fact, in verse 8, he goes even further. He makes it more extreme, and he says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. And in verse 10, maybe the most kind of extreme verse of them all, he says there are children of God and children of the devil. What are we to make of that? God's family or the devil's family? These are challenging verses, but uh, John has some good news for us in verse 8. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. When it comes to good versus evil, there is only ever going to be one winner. Good always wins. God has defeated evil. That's why John says, uh, that Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work. He just a few verses ago said Jesus appeared to defeat sin. And the point is that they're the same thing by, by on the cross as he uh, defeats uh, sin uh, and evil 
and the devil. John, uh, John is saying that Jesus died for our sins, and in doing so, he absolutely proved that sin had been defeated. The devil loves to cause sin. The devil's really opposed to God, and because sin is so much of an offense to God, that's why the, the devil loves to cause sin. But Jesus has defeated him. Jesus has won the fight. The battle is over. And we live in the aftermath of that victory. We live after Jesus has risen from the dead and defeated sin and the devil. Okay, what does this mean for our friends Daryl and Bob then? So what about Daryl? Well, for her, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? She needs to remember that she is a child of God and that her whole life has been completely changed by what Jesus has done on the cross. She's not who she used to be. She's a completely different person. She has been radically changed. She doesn't live like how she used to. What about uh, our friend Beat Up Bob? What about him? Well, he needs to remember he is a, a child of God. And uh, because he is a child of God, he has power. He has the ability to defeat the ongoing sin in his life because Jesus has already defeated it. Jesus, as he has risen from the dead, has proven that sin has been defeated. And so Bob has the power to defeat sin in his own life. Uh, there's a verse that we skipped over that said God's seed lives in us if we're sons of God. That literally means that God himself is part of us. God, by his Holy Spirit, makes his home in us. And so we have God's power to defeat sin in our lives, to say no to sin, even when it is tempting, and to turn away from it. We have God's spirit within us, and so we can kill the sin in our lives. But uh, as we wrap up, there is a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't there? You might be uh, wondering, okay, if I'm a child of God now, well, why do I still sin? Why is there still sin in my life? Why do I still get things wrong? John, by the way, isn't uh, unaware of this. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. He knows that there aren't any, no such thing as a, as a perfect Christian, a Christian who never gets things wrong. But we are yet to see our sin fully defeated, aren't we? It's still kind of hanging around there. It's a bit like uh, if you've got a bit of moldy cheese at the back of your fridge and that you smell it, you think, oh, that's horrible. So you take it out and throw it in the bin. But even then, as you uh, open uh, the fridge door every time, you kind of get a bit of a whiff of it, don't you, as it, as it kind of hangs around for a few days. It's a bit like that. Sin has been defeated. We are uh, no longer slaves to it, but uh, we still occasionally get a whiff of it in our lives. But, you know, the New Testament very rarely describes Christians as sinners. I, I, I did a, a quick search. I think there's only one time in the whole New Testament where we're described as sinners. I don't know if that surprises you. But what we are described as far more is uh, some wonderful words. Here's some words from 1 Peter where he describes us. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. He's saying you've been set apart. You've been blessed by God. You're his special possession. 
Now, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we are a new creation. He says the old has gone and the new has come. In Ephesians, we looked at this a few months ago, didn't we? Where we read in chapter one that we've been chosen before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. And as God looks at us, he does not see all the stuff we get wrong and the thing we wish weren't true about ourselves. But God sees us as holy and blameless and right. So John's telling us that we are children of God now. And so we act like it now. But also we look forward to when we will see that fully kind of come to fruition. We see that perfectly and there won't be any more sin in our lives. And we will be completely like Jesus.